Second John, if you would join me in verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth, for the, truth is, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. And isn't that a blessing? Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from our, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Seems to pop up often among Christians. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. That makes sense, because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And here is a command, and it will be our opening text. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Our Father in heaven, as we enter this text this evening... I ask that you would help me again be able to preach to this church. I pray that you would affirm in their heart my gratitude to you for them. I pray that you would allow us to be able to not just hear from you tonight, but that we'd be moved by your spirit to ways that we can apply the truths we'll hear into our lives. I pray that you would not allow me to be remembered as much as the truth that was preached to be remembered. And we'll be quick to praise you for all that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, on Sunday night, we have been looking at the word look. We look unto Jesus. Monday night, we realize that while we might know where to look, we want to make sure we're looking correctly, and so we need to see spiritually. Last night, we looked at the importance of looking not only to our own things, but on the things of others And we look specifically at offenses and trespasses in other people's lives and how we are to view that and how we ought to be careful not to cause it, how we ought to be quick to confront it, and how we also ought to be quick to forgive it. And tonight, the attention is turned to ourselves. Uh, This word look in verse, uh, our text, verse 8, is a, a different word. It's translated look. It's a different word in the Greek, but it has a similar meaning, but it's a little bit more specific. It means to beware or to take heed. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul uses, the Holy Spirit uses it to say, take heed, brethren. You know what take heed means. It means, hey, pay attention, mark this. And then again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul uses it to tell the church of Colossae, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And you know rudiments is just another word for principles or elements. We ought not be following the principles or the things that make up the things of this world, but rather the things of Christ. But he says, beware, watch out. And in our verse here in 2 John verse 8, he's saying, take heed, beware, watch yourself, that we lose not the things which we have wrought. And this word wrought means the things that we have worked for the things that we have labored for, the things that we have gained. And I don't just mean the things that you might have gained this week. I mean this ministry as a whole. From the time it was started until right now, I think 
68 years I heard this ministry has been here. But I want to encourage you tonight, Mount Zion, do not, do not compromise, do not give up, do not put it in cruise control, look to yourselves that you don't lose the things that you have wrought. The ground you've gained, keep, and then keep gaining more for the Lord's sake. He says this, because we don't want to lose the things we've wrought, but that we receive, and this is an interesting phrase, a full reward. That means it's possible that we won't. And what is that? I heard recently someone say, and I believe they were well-meaning, they just were not understanding the full principles in the New Testament, that I don't care about getting anything from the Lord, I'm just going to be in heaven to worship Jesus. I know what they meant, I'm not trying to make fun of, fun of them, I, again, I just think that they just didn't understand everything in the New Testament. But that's a dangerous attitude to have. Because to worship Jesus one day means to show him his worth. And the rewards we are going to be given are going to be opportunity to give back to the Lord. And beloved, we ought to want rewards to give back to him. We realize that when we're given rewards, we're unprofitable servants. That we are not gaining anything by the, the service we do here. But beloved, we ought to strive lawfully because we ought to want rewards from our Lord. Not in an arrogant way, but that we might show forth something that says, Lord, it was my pleasure to do that for you, to be loyal to you, to be faithful to you. And any good that happened down there is because of you. So here you go. Beloved, I don't want your church to lose any part of your reward. I want you to have a full reward. So don't lose the things that you have gained. If I could say it this way, Mount Zion Baptist Church, you did not come this far to just come this far. God did not bring you here to just bring you here. There is a future for this church. So look to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. Is your footing sure? Is your armor on? Are you filled with God's spirit? If so, then stand up, lean in, and push forward for the glory of God. Look to yourselves, Mount Zion. The question might be, how can we know for sure that we are still right? That how can we know for sure that we're doing that? I don't want to lose what I've gained personally as a Christian. I don't want to lose personally what I've gained as a husband, a wife, a, a child, a son, a daughter, a church member, whatever it might be. And of course that affects the church corporately. I want to use a stanza out of Psalm 119 to draw three truths out that if Mount Zion Baptist Church will commit to, you can be pretty sure you're not losing the things that you've gained. Because anything you have gained by now has only come because of God's grace, the truth from his word, and his blessing upon an obedient people. There is no fingerprint of any man or woman on God's work. He builds his church through obedient people, and then the obedient people look back and say, glory to God, look at what he did. And so I would submit tonight that your relationship to God's word and God himself is what you need to make sure you look to yourselves that you don't lose what you've gained, that you don't lose what you've worked for. I'm encouraged by the direction of the church. I'm encouraged by hearing your pastor. The Bible says, out of the abundance of a heart, the mouth speaks, and it is evident. He not only loves his family, he loves being here. 
and he loves this church. But what's also evident is he loves the word of God. He knows it, he studies it, and he desires to preach it. These are good things, especially when there's a church that is craving it and hungry for it. That's a good relationship. Someone committed to preaching it, we'll say more about this in a few minutes, and then of course those ready to listen to it. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 119, and I want to give you this, this, uh, these truths, again, to help you look to yourselves. Psalm 119, and I, real, I know that um, Pastor Weiss has gone through this uh, psalm uh, with you, but I want to just uh, sp- take some time quickly, and then we'll, we'll be done, all right? For the record, I got up here late, just, just so you know, all right? Psalm 119, if you join me in verse 97, Psalm 119, verse 97. Now this stanza represents a really good truth for a church, because a church needs to pray and a church needs to ask things of God, but in this stanza, there are no question marks, there's exclamation points. There's no petition and there's no prayer for himself. It is pure praise. It is purely God-focused. And he starts off with this exclamation, Oh, how love I thy law. Exclamation point. Man, he loves God's word. And that's the first thing that I want you to commit to as you push forward, is a commitment to love God's word. Charles Spurgeon said, If we do not love the Bible, we certainly do not love the God who gave it to us. But if we do love God, then no other book in the entire world will be comparable in our minds. When God speaks, it is the delight of our ears to hear what he says. In other books, there is some truth and some error. Apart from the Bible, the best book ever written has mistakes in it. It is not possible for fallible men to write infallible books. Somehow or other, we either say more than is true or less than is true. The most skillful writer does not always keep along the hairline of truth that is more difficult to tread than a razor's edge. But scripture never errs. Here is the gold bullion without a single particle of alloy. Here is the living water leaping from the rock and there is no defilement in it. We have heard of some who read their Bibles on Sunday but put them away in a drawer with a sprig of lavender all the week. That was not David's plan. He could say, it is my meditation all the day, and no doubt he meant every day of the week. We must love God's word when we are at business and act on it there, and love it in our families and act on it there. We must love the word so as to live on it wherever we may be. The heart of a child of God, someone who loves God's word so much that the way they talk about it, it's like they can't live without it. This is what he says, it is my meditation all the day. And I realize meditation has a bad connotation sometimes, but it's not an Eastern religion word. Meditation is not the emptying of one's mind. And you might be more good at meditating than you think. How many of you have ever worried before? Yeah? Congratulations, you know how to meditate. The, the bringing things over in your mind again and again, mulling it over. The psalmist said this, I love God's word so much It is my meditation all the day. The psalm begins, this Hebrew hymn book, with the delight of God's word. Back in Psalm 1, I don't want to misquote it, so let's read it. Psalm 1, you're familiar with this, this psalm. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his, what? Delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law doth he, what? Meditate day and night. It's his delight. Mount Zion, increase your love for the word of God. Say, well, how do I increase my love? The same way you would with anybody. Love, and this is important, love is not just declaration. Love is a demonstration. Love is a demonstration of the declaration. So, like faith, right? Hebrews 11 is not a declaration of faith. It's chock full of demonstration of faith, of what people did with faith. Love is the same way. I can say honestly that I love Jen, my wife, more today than I did when we first got married. And I loved her when we got married. But I know more about her now. I've spent time with her now. I know what she likes and what she doesn't like. I know what she'd prefer and not prefer. I know where she'd like to go and not go. Why? Because I've spent almost 22 years with her. It stands to reason the more time you spend with someone, the better you get to know them. And thank God for people that the more time you spend with them, the more you love them. Amen? And God is no different. And neither is his word. You want to love God's word more? Spend more time in it. But then, don't just spend the time... Make it quality time. Jen and I were out recently at a restaurant. We went to a nicer restaurant that was uh, recently built in Grand Forks. And we were noting, not that we're being judgy. I don't want to be like that Christian, all right? But we noticed we're at this beautiful restaurant, and there are couples all around the restaurant. And at some of the tables, too many of the tables, there was a blue glow on the face of many of the individuals. Now here you are at a beautiful restaurant, opportunity to spend time with each other, and then people are on their phones, they're on their, their devices, and I don't know what the reasons are behind that, but you, get, you see that often. Tragically, you see it more and more. But that's spending time together, but it's not quality time together. If, if I'm listening to my wife, and I'm just hearing her talk, but I'm not really paying attention, not good. That's not going to help anything. I think you get the idea. Don't just read your Bible. Pay attention to what God's saying. Many people talk about worship coming into the sanctuary. And I've said this last year at the, at the preacher's conference, so if you were here for it, I'm going to repeat it again. But we give God more than just our money and some music. One of the best things we can give God at church is our attention, is disciplining our mind and saying, I'm going to put those things out. I love God too much to not pay attention. I'm going to focus on what he has to say. Because after all, it's not a man only. God's using the preacher to, as, as, a, as a messenger, but it's God's message ultimately. And so love God's word. But secondly, not only should you love God's word, you have to remember that it is God's word that is the source of this church's wisdom. By his grace and spirit. If you get nothing else tonight, please get this point. This is so important. Notice verse 98. He says, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Well, what's ever with him? The commandments are his enemies. Both. Jesus, Jesus would not tell us to love our enemies if we weren't going to have enemies. To bless our enemies if we weren't going to have them. And praise the Lord, his truth endures forever. So we have his commandments. But I want you to notice a very important truth here. The psalmist does not say, thy commandments have made me wiser than mine enemies. He says, you through thy commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies. 
Beloved, having a Bible on your lap does not make one wise. But the God of the Bible on your lap will. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser. This church has to remember this. Please, you need God. Period. You need God. Yes, there are services scheduled and there are songs sung and there are messages preached. But this church will not move forward. It will not keep the things which you have gained without God, his blessing, his power, and his work. It is not just the Bible. Listen closely. The Pharisees had the scriptures. Scribes had the scriptures. They had the facts, but they did not have the truth. Why? Lack of the spirit. Do not underestimate the importance of God's spirit work in your life to teach you what your Bible means. Not just what it says, but what it means. Beloved, you need God. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies. If you would take your Bible, I want you to see this illustrated. Turn it with me to 2 uh, Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, please. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is a story. Jehoshaphat is in a difficult situation. Uh, the Moabites have come down. They have outnumbered them. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you're not there, I'm just going to go ahead and read and please listen as it is the word of God. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, and this was their prayer, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear and help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For, and he's going to confess his condition, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. We don't have the strength, we don't have the ability, and we're outnumbered. But our eyes are upon thee, period. Lord, there's no answer down here, so we're looking up. Our eyes are upon thee. Did you notice what he relied on? He, he reminds God, not that God forgot, but he's confessing what, what, why he's praying. He knows who he's praying to. And he says in his prayer what God has done in the past. They know about this. He is basing his faith on what God has done before. 
He's basing his faith on the request that has been given by his people before. And then he confesses this. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are upon thee. Now the blessing is God worked for them, and we praise the Lord for that. But it's not always this way for God's people. We're not always like Jehoshaphat. We don't always have that faith. Sometimes we're like the children of Israel in other times. If you take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Israel is warring with the Philistines. The children of Israel, they get some bad news. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 2. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. Now, if you know anything about your Old Testament, you know the bad guys just won. Israel's the good guy. The, Israel's God's people, God's children. What's going on here? Israel figured it out. They said, oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. We know what happened. This is an easy fix. Look at verse 3. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, what's that two-letter word? It may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Oh, I know what we need to do. We need to get the ark. Because if we have the ark, it will save us. Now, before we're too quick to judge the children of Israel, there are a lot of it's that we rely on even today as God's people and even in his churches. We'll have revival services. That will fix the problem. We'll have a guest speaker. The guest speaker will fix the problem. We'll have a prayer meeting. The prayer meeting will fix the problem. Is there anything wrong with prayer meetings? Of course not. Was there anything wrong with the Ark of the Covenant? No, God designed it. But the ark can't save them. They need the God of the ark to save them. Now we're going to skip a lot because we don't have time to get into it tonight. But God moved among the people in chapter 7. If you take your Bible and turn there, they finally come to some, some sense. There's been some judgment. There's been more, more defeat. There's been more death. But praise the Lord, God's enduring. He's patient. He's long-suffering. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, join me in verse 8. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us that... Now that's a different two-letter word. He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And the good news is, he did. We praise the Lord for that. The Bible says at the end of verse 9, The Lord heard him. And in verse 10... As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. Who did? God did. Listen, you know what churches need? We need thunder. But we can't create thunder. But God can. God heard that prayer. He acknowledged that the people had gone from looking at that thing, it will save us, and they, they remembered, no, no, we need, we need God. He, he will save us. Why this matters is because for churches, for the kingdom of God to advance, for churches to grow, 
It does not happen through trial and error of methods and men. But rather it is the work of God in response to our obedience. Some water and some will plant, but it will be God that gives the increase. Now, we know obedience plants. And it takes humility to understand that others may have to, have to water. But faith says God will give the increase. We're, we'll do what we can do. We'll roll the stone away. But we need God to raise the dead. We'll do what we have to do, what we can do, but we need God to keep us spiritual, to keep us moving in the right direction. Beloved, as sure as God thundered in the Old Testament, he has promised to build his church today. And he will build his church. And he'll do it through obedient people. So beloved, remember, as you look to yourselves, that you not lose the things that you have gained. Remember, you need God's word, yes, but you need the God of the word. If you would go back with me to, to Psalm 119, we'll continue through this quickly here. Psalm 119, we need to love God's word and love the God of the word and depend upon the God of the word. Understanding that the source of wisdom for this church is God. I appreciate Pastor Weiss, but your hope isn't in him. It's in the Lord. And I hope you see that tonight. Thou through thy commandments. We don't, we don't put the, the Bible aside, amen? Well, God will use this new book I read. No, God still uses his word. So it's thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. And I want you to look at verse 99. This is so important, especially for a well-taught church like this one. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for, they are, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Now, this is not a student saying, I know more than my teachers. What it is, is a man confessing that he knows more than just what he's taught to know. And Mount Zion, you need to know membership. You need to know people that attend this church. You need to know more than just what is said from behind this pulpit. You need more understanding than just what your teachers give you. You need to know yourself what it means to open up your Bible, to be moved by God's Spirit by the truth of His Word. You need to know what it means to be led by God's Spirit and led by truth. You have to have more understanding than just what you're told to know. But then he explains why. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. That means that throughout the week, God's Word is in your heart. Testimonies, word of God, are my meditation. And then he says in verse 100, he understands more than the ancients. Young people, please listen. This is not a verse that says you should disrespect those that are older than you. That's, that would be silly. God designed teachers, and so it would be silly to dismiss teachers. God also said that the, there's wisdom in the older generation, and we'd be foolish to dismiss their wisdom. But... Notice what he says, the reason that he has more understanding than those older than him is because he keeps God's precepts. He keeps them. He protects them so that he can obey them. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. There's a reason I want to keep these protected. I want to obey them. 
And if you want to, if you've ever heard this expression in your life, please listen, young people. Wow, that young lady, that young man, they're wiser. They're wise beyond their years. You ever heard that before? You're wise beyond your years. I haven't heard it very much. But I can tell you this, that the few times I have heard it, I can promise you it was because I had applied biblical principles. I'm not smart enough to be wise beyond my years. But when I trust this book, I can be wise beyond my years. When I trust this book, this church can exhibit wisdom more than just what they're taught and more than the ancients because, and here's the key, obedience. I keep thy precepts. There's a story in the Old Testament of a young prophet who died because he chose to listen to an older prophet instead of God's word. Obedience is so key in the believer's life. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Now I want you to go back with me quickly. In verse 98, he has God's word. In verse 99, he meditates on God's word. And in verse 100, he obeys God's word. You see that progression? I have it, I study it, I obey it. Now let's ask ourselves this question real quick. The psalmist had less of God's word than we do. But does he love it more than we do? We have more of God's word. We have the completed canon of scripture. But do we love it as much as he did? Not only that, we, so we can say like the psalmist said, I have it. If you have a Bible on your lap, check box one. Congratulations, you have it. Box two, I study it. Maybe the crowd begins to dwindle right there. But then there's the third box, I obey it. There's no reason we can't be like this psalmist. You want this church to not lose the things that it has wrought, the things that it has gained, then you have a church filled with people who desire to not just love God's word, not just have God's word, but study it that they might obey it. Let me tell you, you'll, you'll, you'll advance, you'll move on, you'll grow for the glory of God. But then, moving on, this church not only needs to love God's word, not, it needs to not only commit that God's word will be its source of wisdom by God's grace and by his spirit, but it also has to be God's word and God himself must be the motivation for your separation and your sanctification. I want you to notice what he says here in verse number 100. I have refrained my feet from every evil way. Why? Anytime you see that in the Bible, it's a purpose statement. It means, here's why. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Young people, listen. Your parents and this church challenging you and telling you to watch where you go and watch how you live isn't just to please them. It's to please the Lord. He says here very plainly, there's things that I refrain my feet so that I might keep thy word. Notice verse 101. Excuse me, 102. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. 101, I have. 102, I have not. Mount Zion needs to get in its heart the things that they will do and the things they will not do. I have refrained and I will not depart from thy judgments. Let me just say this real quick. Notice why he refuses to depart from his judgments. He says in verse 102, I have not departed from thy judgments for thou hast taught me. This is a relationship commitment. 
I'm not, I'm not changing and I'm not moving because you, Lord, are the one that taught me. Remember he, the, what Paul said to Timothy, remember who taught you. Lord, I'm not, I'm not moving. Let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of temptations to move from God's judgments and God's precepts and God's word. But don't do it. Don't forget who gave them to you. I have, back when I was growing up, my mom had a, a, a hutch where you put fine china and dishes and things that she was given from her mom and grandmother over the years. And if you ever visited our home in Ohio, they don't have it, they're in their new home in South Carolina. I think she finally doesn't matter anymore. But she had, among all this beautiful plates, these expensive dishes, she had the most hideous plastic plate you've ever seen in your life. It had the handprint with marker filled in with different colors to look like a turkey. And it said in the worst handwriting, Happy Thanksgiving, love you mom, Josh, 1986. Thanksgiving, 1986. It was ugly. Well, why did she have it in the hutch? Well, it wasn't because of the plate, it was because of who gave it to her. That was, that was from Josh. He, he made that for me. Now, at the risk of trying to make an illustration about something as lovely as God's word, like a plastic plate, that's not the illustration. The illustration is what made that matter, the emotional connection, was the one who had given it to her. Beloved, we have a gift not from a publisher. This is from God. And he said, you want to know why I'm not budging and I'm not moving and I'm not departing? Because of my relationship with God. That's why. It's not about pleasing this person or pleasing that person. It's about pleasing him. I have refrained my feet from every evil way because I want to make sure I obey God's word. And I'm not departing from God's judgments because he's the one that gave them to me. And then he says this in verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now this is not talking about speaking the Bible. Although we should have wholesome words, the Bible says. Amen. There's something called wholesome words in scripture and we should use them. This is talking about receiving God's word in. It's tasting it. It's, it's, it's consuming it. It's receiving it, if we could say it that way. And you know what he said? Man, I love it. This is good. You eat something you like, what do you do? You go back for more. Take that from experience, all right? Maybe, maybe you don't. But you eat something you like, man, I want, I want more of that. And then we might sit here and ask the question, well, that's a really beautiful illustration. The psalmist says that God's words, they're sweeter than honey to my mouth. They're sweet to my taste. But who wouldn't like that? Well, you know the Bible tells us who wouldn't like that? The Bible tells us through the Proverbs that a full soul loatheth a honeycomb. A full soul loatheth a honeycomb. You ever been somewhere to eat and you're stuffed? You say, I can't eat another bite. You ever been there before? I haven't either. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what that feeling is like. No, I'm just kidding. I, I felt it several times on this trip. You could put down your favorite dessert, your favorite appetizer, your favorite meal. Man, I'm too stuffed. I can't eat another bite. And I, I want you to hear me, and I'm saying this with love in my heart. I, I mean that. I say it with love in my heart. Do you know why some people come into church but can't get anything out of the preaching? Because they're already full. 
they are filled up with garbage in the world. They're, they're, they've already listened to what they're listening to and read what they're going to read, and they've, they've watched the news, listened to the news, whatever it is. They've had all this media coming into their ears and through their eyes, and they're, they're stuffed. And you can lay before them the very word of God, but their full soul loatheth the honeycomb. Beloved, don't be like that. Watch what you eat. Watch what you eat. And if you have to put off something so that you can consume this, then do it. This is important for churches to move forward. You didn't get here by not obeying the Bible. You got here because you obeyed the Bible. Almost seven decades of ministry. That didn't happen by accident. It's not going to continue by accident either. It's going to need a church committed with people who are, who are dedicated to the word of God. I challenge Brother Weiss, and I appreciate you. He's a good friend, and I, I'm, I'm glad I've got to know him. But I, I will say to you, brother, and I, and I don't want to embarrass you, but there's a lot of talk about leading churches as pastors. But the Bible says a lot about feeding the church. And I submit that that's the most important thing that you will do as a pastor is the time spent preparing and delivering the food for the flock. Feed the flock. But beloved, may I say to you as a church, you have a responsibility to eat it. You have a responsibility to say, listen, I'm part of this body, I'm part of this assembly. God's man put a lot of time and a lot of effort into delivering a meal. I'm not going to push it away. I'm going to take it. Because I don't know, I might need this tomorrow. I might need this on Tuesday. So beloved... If I could say it this way, when you come to church, worship God and then sit at his table and eat up. Take it in. Love it. This is how you'll continue. And then, lastly, as we look at this important truth of our sanctification and our separation, why we do what we do, I want you to see in verse 104, through thy precepts I get understanding. Through, through thy, thy law, thy word, I get understanding. Therefore, I what? Hate every false way. Now, that's a really interesting way to end this stanza, isn't it? Because he started by saying this, I love. And he ends it with saying, I hate. But you know why that's the case? Because when you love the right things, you hate the right things. When you love right, you hate right. When Jesus cleansed the temple, the disciples are watching this whole thing take place. They said, this reminds me of something. Remember that psalm? The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They didn't say, man, look at how much Jesus hates people. Look at how much Jesus hates money changers. Oh, no. What drove the Lord to do what he did was a jealous love for what God's house was supposed to be. And he wanted to remove anything that would keep it from being what it should. Listen carefully. I'm not trying. I have no idea of anything going on. But I'm going to trust that this is what the Lord has. A pastor, a good pastor, loves right and he hates right. If you came with a tour group on a, in Ireland, well, I don't know if there's predators in Ireland, but let's just pretend there are, okay? I don't want to bring up styrofoam plates again because that got ruined already, all right? Let's say you're on the tour group, and all of a sudden you see this beautiful scene. There's a flock of sheep over there, and there's a shepherd, and you go, oh, i got to get my phone out. i got to take a picture. This is so perfect. This is so beautiful. And then all of a sudden you see the shepherd pull a rifle off his back, 
and start pointing it outside. And always, what's going on? And he pulls that trigger, the loud crack goes through the airwaves, and you see a wolf rolling over. Can you imagine if someone said, oh, I can't believe it. I thought shepherds were supposed to love animals. Say, well, hold on a second. He does love animals. That's why he did what he did. He loves sheep. That's why he hates the predator. Now, we don't hate people, but we can hate what people can do to people. And so a good shepherd loves right, but he also hates right. And so when we as Christians, by the way, Christians are the same way, ought to be, amen? Because we love right, we hate right. If you're a father, you know about this. You're going to protect your family. Something happens to your family, you're going to protect them. Why? Not because you have anything against the other person, but because you have love for your family. I don't think this needs to be explained anymore. When you love right, you hate right. And the psalmist said this, I love God's word, and therefore I hate every false way. Anything that will go against God's word, I don't want it. I, look, I despise it. I look down upon it. And young people, I don't know where you all are. I'm going to just look around here. Please get this. Please get this. This will, this will help you the rest of your life. If man says something different than what God says, man is wrong because God is always right. When man says something different than what God says, even if it sounds good, God's always right. God's word is always true. So this church, look to yourselves. Don't lose what you've wrought. Don't lose what you've worked for. Don't lose what you've gained because there's a potential you could lose your full reward. And I believe you can have great confidence moving forward without any fear of losing what you've gained if you stay committed to the word of God and to the God of the word. Learn to love him and love his word and learn to look down upon and despise the things that would hinder that, the things that would work contrary to that. The Lord did that. When the disciples saw Jesus, as I said, it was his zeal for God's house that, had, that was eating him up. It was his love for how things were supposed to be. And it ought not be just the pastor that has that love for the Lord's body, for the Lord's assembly. It ought to be everyone. This is this, this attitude of not only looking to our own things, but on the things of others. Love God's word Allow it to be the source for your wisdom through his grace and by his spirit. You can't do it without God. Don't look for things to grow this church. Depend on God to grow his church. And remember, God is under no obligation to bless a disobedient people. That goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. God talks about setting his love upon the children of Israel. They're not greater in number than other, other people. And then he says this, I keep covenant with them that keep my commandments. Yes, God has given promises and praise God for it. And he's a promise keeper. We praise the Lord for that. But he gave a qualifier. Those that keep my commandments. I pray the Lord blesses this church. And I pray this church stays obedient to the Lord. I want to thank you again for the privilege. And I mean it's a privilege to preach before you this week. I can say truly, I love this ministry and I will be praying with you for this church moving forward.